Today we're in the sixth chapter of Mark's Gospel. So let's read together from verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot out of all cities, and outwent them, or outran them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. And was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. If you to ask a member of the public to name some of Jesus' miracles, I'm sure the feeding of the 5,000 would be among them. This is one that's found in all four Gospels as well. When I'm preparing my messages, my aim is always the same. To find any excuse to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. So today... I plan to use this incident to show Jesus as a teacher, shepherd, and as the living bread himself. To summarise, the apostles have been busy. Jesus tells them they need a break. Get into the boat and sail to a place along the coast, he says. The crowds were so determined to be in the company of Jesus and hear him speak, that they note which way the boat's going, and they start walking fast in order to catch them up. I mean, that it was a lot further for them on foot than it was for the disciples on the boat. Not long after the boat party disembarks and settles down, the crowds appear. Jesus takes the opportunity to do some preaching. Of course he does. 
The disciples are concerned that people haven't eaten and there was no place around where they could buy food. And they offer to go and buy food while Jesus continues to preach, although they're doubtful they can afford it. I mean, after all, this figure we read of 5,000 was for adult males only. So there may have been more than 10,000 people altogether with the women and the children. And the disciples estimate it would cost thousands of pounds to feed such a large crowd. What follows is a great and mysterious miracle. Our curiosity might make us wonder how the miracle was performed. That is what we'd have seen if we'd have been there. Was Jesus continually breaking off chunks of each piece of bread? Or did he just throw what he had in a basket and cause it to multiply? We don't know. And it doesn't matter really, does it? The miracle took place and thousands participated in it. So, let's see firstly how this account shows Jesus Christ as shepherd. When it says Jesus saw the crowds as sheep without a shepherd, the phrase isn't an invention of the author. You might think the simile isn't surprising considering they lived in a world dominated by agriculture. The phrase deliberately alludes to imagery seen in the Old Testament. Read, if you will, 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 17. And you'll find it says, And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. The people were lost. They knew where they lived and they knew how to get home at the end of the day. But in their lives, they were lost. They had Judaism as a, as a background influence, just like people in Britain describe us as a Christian nation. But like the people in our country today, they didn't have the absolute truth that's found in Jesus. I expect they were wondering what life was really all about. If people begin to think their existence is pointless, they'd be right. Many try to create a sense of purpose in their life through careers. They might find meaning through having a family or getting a house. Now, I'm glad God raises up people to enable society to function and um, we've only survived as a human race because God has gifted people with children but neither these nor anything else can create real purpose in his wisdom writings in the Old Testament Solomon lays out for us the pointlessness of life he shows how people who spend their lives trying to get more money, they end up dying and leaving it to others. All their clothes donated to a charity shop, their belongings given away. 
They might be remembered, but only for a few short years. Solomon tells the man or woman who has no interest in Christ, they may as well enjoy their food and drink while they can. Soon they'll be dead, and there's nothing for them in the grave. And at the appointed time in the future, they face judgment. But Solomon does recognise there's purpose for the servants of God. And they're described in the scriptures as sheep. And sheep are notoriously stupid. (laughs) They need a shepherd. Look at John chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. Jesus speaking, of course. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and and not the shepherd, whose, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I love the comfort in those verses. Quite lovely. We, we talked a few weeks ago about the discrimination of God. We used the examples of sermons made in such a way as to be understood by some and not others. As God, Jesus was at the centre of electing his people back before the world began. So in what way, we have to ask, can it be said that Jesus had compassion on a a multitude of people, some of whom he's determined not to have saving mercy on? It's a tough question. We've come across this problem in previous weeks. Sometimes Jesus seems to think like us while at other times he expresses his divinity. And I said to you that the problem comes from the incarnation itself. It's a mystery, remember, a mystery. I'm being as honest as I can with this text, and I can only conclude it means what it looks like. Jesus felt compassion towards all of the crowd. And I can see clearly the Bible shows God as loving some and hating others. It's a paradox from our perspective. I can't explain it. But I caution Christians from reading too much into this compassion of Jesus and thinking therefore God must love everyone and equally. It's interesting to see when disciples bring up the subject of their food, Jesus says, you feed them. You you feed them. (laughs) Now, it's Jesus who performed the miracle. He reproduced food. When you think about this, this was an act of direct creation, just like at the beginning of the world. Even in the humble form of a man, Jesus was able to create matter out of nothing. But anyway, it was the disciples who distributed the food. And we can see in this image, we can see in this uh, an image of how God uses his, what we call, under-shepherds. 
These are the preachers of righteousness, those who God has raised up to take care of his sheep. It says in Acts 20 and 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he, Jesus, has purchased with his own blood. They feed the flock with the word of God. They lead the flock in their Christian endeavours. And they guard the flock from those who would do them harm. But where did these disciples um, get the food from? Well, it was Jesus Christ, of course. And in the same way, those in the ministry who give of themselves for the spiritual benefits of others, get their resources from God himself. How else can they feed the people with the word unless they themselves are students of it? How can they affect the, the, the well-being of the people unless they spend time pleading at the throne of God for them? But if those preachers neglect prayer and the word, the people will suffer. Now they may not be aware they're suffering. Their church life will continue as normal. But if they're not being fed and prayed for, they cannot have truly blessed relationships uh, with God and each other. They're like sheep that are wandering about, just emaciated. I love that Mark includes this tiny detail in verse 39. Have you noticed he says, Jesus told them all to sit on the green grass. The green grass. It might tell us what time of the year it was, but it's not there primarily for that reason. It, it creates a, a, a nice picture in our minds. It's creates a, a more attractive picture to form as we think about these things. But primarily though, it's, it's to fill out the picture in such a way that our minds might be taken to that wonderful description of Christ in the Psalms. In the 23rd Psalm, of course, when it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green, pastures and here Jesus makes the people sit down in the green pastures in order to bless them well let's move on and look at how this account shows Jesus Christ as teacher you'll note the only thing on Jesus's mind was teaching the multitude for him the best expression of compassion is the preaching of the kingdom of God Yes, he did see to their bodily needs afterwards. But we can see where his priority lay. And by this we learn something ourselves too. There are two extremes which the church should avoid. Firstly, they, thought, they shouldn't think that godly speech or conferring blessings on people is enough if your brother has a bodily need also. If your brother is hungry, feed him. 
Don't just wish him well. Secondly, the church shouldn't neglect the word for the sake of ministering to people's bodily needs. And as you and I know, some Christians, some Christian groups, have well forsaken the clear preaching of the gospel in order to focus on social work. Jesus shows us the balance. We only need to copy him. Jesus Christ, the great teacher, describes his teaching, his teaching role uh, through the psalmist again. It's not the psalmist, it's the prophet. It's in, um, it's in Isaiah 61. The opening verses of Isaiah 61. So Jesus is speaking through the prophets and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And Jesus' ministers on earth do likewise. They proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who have become meek through a humbling work of the Holy Spirit. They apply the healing balm of Scripture to the hearts of men broken by knowledge of their sin. They point the way to the door of salvation where there'll be no more crying because of despair over sin. And with the promises of God on their lips, they escort captive sinners from the dungeon of sin and bring them out into the bright liberty found in Jesus Christ. Jesus taught the crowd. In doing this, he teaches his disciples and us the importance of preaching. We can also see he's been teaching the disciples in other ways, principles that apply today too. Encouraging the disciples to rest properly. He's also given us an example of pastoral care. And I say again, if the leaders in the churches are to have a pastoral heart for the people, they must, them, they must themselves receive pastoral care from God. Now you may have missed this, but in the first verse of the reading today, we see the apostles reporting back to Jesus. He's the one not only to send the disciples out in the first place, but also the one to whom they had to report. They understood they were accountable. No doubt they took some pleasure in relaying stories of their missionary activity, their little adventures, but they were clearly in submission to Jesus. Sometimes they'd report back full of excitement, uh, uh, only for Jesus to straighten them out with a kind word of guidance. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. This isn't a matter to be taken lightly. If the man who has the cure of souls, as it's called, is sincere, he'll understand the gravity of his situation. I mean, imagine if I said to any one of you, let me introduce uh, John. Uh, Now, I want you to take care over his soul's well-being and he's your responsibility now, till the end of your lives. (laughs) That's quite weighty, isn't it? That's quite, quite a... An incredible responsibility. So think kindly and pray often for those who have a responsibility before God. Not just for one person, but for numerous people. Finally, let's think about how this event shows Jesus Christ as the living bread. So this great charitable event... Shows us a number of things. Jesus fed a multitude of hungry people. And this being recorded, we have yet another example of his mighty power. And we shouldn't overlook how he first gave thanks to God for the bread. Those details were included for our learning. But if we're to let the passage remind us of anything, it should be that Jesus Christ himself is described as bread. Read with me from John chapter 6, from verse 29. John 6, 29 onwards says, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Moses had promised the people the Lord would provide bread for them, and and he did. But in this picture, with Jesus himself creating and distributing bread, he declares his identity as God in the flesh. Moses didn't feed the people by his own hand. He was a, a mediator who secured food for the people from heaven. But Jesus fed the people himself, and he broadcasts this truth. He is the bread from heaven. He compares himself to bread because he gives life. But whereas food can only keep a man alive for so long, Jesus can feed a man with eternal life. Jesus, the bread of God from heaven, came to give life to this world. Through him, this world has been shown that immortality is a very real possibility he subjected himself to violence and death 
And in that he was manhandled, beaten and left to die this slow death, he was, it was said he was broken. Yet even the breaking of his body was limited. An ancient prophecy said the Messiah would die without a bone being broken. And this limitation by God not only fulfilled the prophecy, but shows even the, the chaos of Golgotha was not outside the lordship of God. They went this far and no further. And Jesus continues this picture of himself as bread. In order to receive the internal benefits of this bread of heaven, a man must eat of it. Jesus said anyone who feeds on him will never hunger. Now we have enough wisdom to understand this is all symbolic. We don't believe as the Roman Catholics do that we literally eat the flesh, muscles and sinews of Jesus Christ. That's the sort of belief you arrive at if you take a a childish, literal view of everything in Scripture. No, my friends, we eat of Jesus Christ when we exercise faith in him. This is what we act out in our Lord's table meeting. The literal eating of literal bread represents the spiritual consumption of Christ through faith in him. Now, whether you've taken part in the Lord's table meeting or not, I have to ask, have you really put your faith in Jesus? If you suddenly appeared at the bar of God right now, in God's courtroom, what would be your plea? It's no God giving God a, a list of things you've done. It's no God, no God um, appealing to the, the Christian company that you keep. It's no good pointing to a decision that you made when you were younger. All that nonsense will get you thrown out of God's court. It's about now. Where do you stand now? What is your plea? The only acceptable position that you can have is to be joined with Christ. If he is all your plea, if you are resting on him right now, having abandoned all claims to merit of your own. You are one of God's. You who have eaten this bread of heaven, Christ himself, you will never again hunger for righteousness. You have been filled. The bread of heaven, broken for you. Gadsby's famous hymn goes like this. Immortal honours rest on Jesus' head. My God, my portion, and my living bread. In him I live, upon him cast my care. He saves from death, destruction, and despair. Amen. <laughs>